Something we've all ex experienced to one degree or another in the current state of life is separation or isolation or distancing. But for those of you who are really enjoying it, you may refer to it as solitude, solace. There have been a few people who have been expressing that they've been really enjoying this time. Superman has his fortress, Batman has his cave, your dog has his crate, and you have your room of solace. And I'm sure many of you are enjoying the beauty and the tranquility of the great outdoors. By now, the colors of the leaves are changing, the weather is cooling, and the sun is graciously offering rather genteel glow goes to the heavy heat of the summer. Perhaps you've enjoyed getting lost on trails, riding your bikes, fishing, and simply sitting under a tree. The American writer Henry David Thoreau is well known for his book Walden. And in 1845, Thoreau moved to Walden Pond, which is in Concord, Massachusetts. He spent two years and two months there, and his endeavor was to experiment by living a life that is as simple and minimal as possible in nature. I don't know why he desired so much solitude. He was not married and had no children. I'm just kidding, my family. I love you guys. You probably need solace from me. But he writes in his book, in reflection to his time of solitude, and says, I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. And this was a man who deeply enjoyed being saturated in this type of solace. And Melissa Lane, professor of politics at Princeton University, describes the idea of solitude as this. Solitude isn't simply being alone. For those of you guys who are laughing, listen. Solitude isn't simply being alone. It's an active achievement. And likewise, some philosophers have even argued that solitude offers greater moral benefits to oneself and society than organized religion. And in the other side, in the other views, they say that solitude is actually self-indulgent and actively dangerous. They believe that living in a community among society gave one a deeper and more fully, full understanding and meaning to life. So then as we ponder about our faith and community, how are we as Christians to view solitude and community? A lot of quotes this morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer here in his book Life Together writes this, and I think it gives us a good paradigm as we enter into God's Word today. This is what he writes in his book Life Together. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Here what Bonhoeffer is suggesting is that as a Christian, 
We need both, that there is a time for solitude and reflection before the Lord and a time of deep, intimate community. There's a place for both. We see Jesus and his disciples often going away into solitude, into the mountains to pray. We see Elijah, Moses, John the Baptist, figures going into desert places to reflect and draw nearer to the Lord or even the Lord draw near to them. Yet at the same time, we see in these same encounters that they eventually go back into community, that perhaps the time of solitude is in service to the time spent among their community. The the Bible from the beginning assumes that we live in relationship and in community. We worship a triune God who is one God and three persons. After he created Adam, he then said that he created Eve so that they would not be alone. And so there is indeed a proper place for a Christian to go into solitude to draw closer to God. But today we'll focus on the joys and the beauties of what it means to live our faith and our life in community. The gospel message is pretty simple. It is that a gospel community gives us accountability, responsibility, and opportunity. Accountability, responsibility, and opportunity. In verse 1, Apostle Paul begins his letter to the church in Galatians by saying, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Brothers, you who are spiritual, or in fact, I think it would be appropriate here to say, Brothers and sisters, you who are spiritually mature, you are called to restore, to love, to go after, to walk with those who are caught in, entangled in transgressions. In other words, if there are brothers and sisters among us in our community that are falling away, that have lapsed, that are slipping, that are taking false steps, that are stuck in sin, then the onus, the burden, the joy, the duty, the light is on those whom the Lord has matured over the years to see that and not turn away, but actually to draw near to them. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, you who have benefited from sitting under the word preached week after week after week, who have enjoyed and experienced the beauty of community and and accountability and love and prayer, you who have experienced these things, who have been poured into and matured, now the Lord is calling you with a certain measure of responsibility. Now the Lord is calling you with a certain measure of accountability to then turn your eyes to perhaps those brothers and sisters in our community that are struggling and wrestling and entangled with sin. Yet to call for the spiritual mature to restore our brothers and sisters who are weaker and who are struggling comes with a very precise posture and heart. We're told that this must be done with a spirit of gentleness. Or in other words, a mildness, a meekness, with a consideration and humility that has a long view, not just an immediate stop. Not just a, you guys need to break up right now. Not just a, you need to stop this right now and throw your computer out. Not just close your mouth and don't say, say these things anymore. But a, but a loving and gracious and, and tender and gentle type of long walking with one another. 
This takes commitment, doesn't it? This type of accountability and responsibility takes a love that perhaps only Christ can give and show us. So brothers and sisters, those who are spiritually mature, those who have been matured and grown by, by, by the Lord's grace, it is on you, as we see in today's text, to walk alongside, to see and draw near with a heart of gentleness for those who are stumbling and falling and in sin. Yet at the same time, the warning goes out to keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That the, that the warning to the spiritual mature is to engage with others, yet with a deep sense of humility and grace, as you have first received it from Christ himself. To recognize and remember that as you approach someone who is in sin, that you were a sinner whom Christ has approached with grace and love and meekness and humility so that your transgressions would be wiped away, so that you would be discipled and matured along the way. And then as we look in verse 6, then we see that Paul also addresses not just the spiritually mature, but perhaps those who are still very young in the faith. It says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with those who teach. So then in this dynamic, in this church, in this community, in this, in this working out of accountability and responsibility, it assumes that there are teachable hearts and there are willingness among the people to heed and to give honor and to respect those who are teaching, not out of their own experience or principles or philosophies, but by God's Word. There is a willingness to listen and to learn and be teachable. Now these things sound so obvious and it should be a given and it shouldn't have to be explained so much, but how often do we find, not only in uh, the people around us, but in our own hearts, a, a lack of softness, a lack of teachableness when we approach correction. How often do we wrestle with, with the words and, and so tenderly and fearfully trying to lovingly keep one another accountable because we know we're so easily offended. And yet we're reminded if we all approach one another, having received this grace of Christ, that there can be a heart of humility and teachableness. There can be a, a, a sense of, hey, let me know if I'm not being faithful. Let me know if I have offended you. Let me know if there are ways I can grow in Christ better. And on the other side, there are then the spiritually mature who do indeed speak into the lives of others. I don't have it up, but uh, Tim Keller here uh, says that everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. And I think Tim Keller here, he points out this, this conundrum that we all desire a sense of community and belongingness and friendship. But as soon as this community then engages with us and calls us out and gives us accountability, or, or as soon as we are called to commit, then we, we kind of don't want that community anymore. We'd rather have something where we can come and enjoy ourselves, be ourselves, and not have too many things get entangled in the way. Most of us want a church or Christianity without these things. 
it would see that the beauty of the church is that it is a very it is a place where these very things can take place in a safe and trusted and loving environment because we all come from the same starting point of being sinners saved by Christ in a, a gospel community in those who are walking in the faith community is one of the strongest and most beautiful and equipping things that the Lord gives to us church community one another is a thing that Christ allows us to enjoy. It's the very place that often the Lord grows us and matures us in. And if we're looking for accountability, it's usually, at least for men, only to do with one thing. But you can't have accountability of only one area in your life. It takes a willingness to open up our whole life to one another. There has to be a commitment for one community is not convenient were conducive to our own needs. So men and women, brothers and sisters, the call is to teach and to learn from one another, to seek out accountability, to assume the responsibilities and the commitment to one another. This isn't just for the pastors, but for all the people of God. And as we live and as we, as we open ourselves up to community, as we walk in faith, we see that not only are there responsibilities and accountability, there's also tremendous opportunity. Tremendous opportunity. Verse 2 says, Bear one another's burden and fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Be there to walk alongside, to cry with, to laugh with. To, to be at weddings, to be at the side of hospital beds, to be at funerals, to be at birthday parties, to be at the random Tuesday afternoon at your friend's house when they're really struggling with something. Bear one another's burdens. In First Thessalonians 5:14, if you look with me, it says, uh, "And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but what? Be patient with them all." Bearing one another's burden is seldom praying once together, but often it's living life together as a community, committed to one another. To follow up with more prayer, to follow up for more updates, to check in, to call, and to be close to one another. Bear one another's burdens. And this is this is what we're told how we can fulfill the law of Christ. Then quickly, what, what is the law of Christ? Well, Galatians 5 sheds some light here. If you look with me, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're being told here that to fulfill the law of Christ is not simply to be in our own uh, study, reading the Bible and praying and fasting. It's not, it's not just about me and Jesus, but to fulfill the law of Christ is in fact to be in community, to, be, to bear one another's burdens, to love one another. And our text goes on in verse 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good 
to everyone, and especially those who are in the household saved. You know, how often do we pray, Lord, give me opportunities to grow. Lord, give me opportunities to be more like Christ. Give me opportunities to be more patient and selfless. Yet we, we don't realize that a lot of those things, most if not all, happen in the context of community as we rub shoulders, grind gears, live life messy and beautiful, joyful and filled with much sorrow with one another. There's so much opportunity when we are in community. There's opportunity to grow. There's opportunity to grow one another. So we're told, do not grow weary. Do not give up. Because in due season, we will reap. Now, in aspects to seasons, I know perhaps some of you guys have been here for many seasons. Others of you may be more new to this congregation. But whenever we think about time, whenever we think about seasons and fruits and growth, the scripture always points us to the reality that all these things and all these things are in God's time. He's the one that brings the fruit. He's the one who brings the growth. He's the one who brings the rain. And he calls us to be faithful, to endure, to not grow weary, to not give up. Because the promise and certainty is that in due season, in his timing, in his working, when it is most fruitful according to his wisdom and plan, that is when the growth and the fruit will come. Then it humbles us. It's not up to us to determine, you know what? I tried this, I tried this, and he and she or this body is not growing. Rather, for us to think, you know what? We are going to grow. He and she, they are going to grow in the Lord. In due season, the Lord will bear fruit in their lives, in the life of our ministry. And so let's not give up. Let's not grow weary of doing good with faithful hearts. What shall we reap then if we don't give up? Spiritual maturity amongst one another, Christ-like community, godly unity, endurance, and strength to press on. It's in community that we find opportunity to grow, to serve, to experience more Christ in His love. So don't delay a good deed, right? That's a saying. Don't delay a good deed. You know, in those moments, if I can give us just a practical application, perhaps then when we find ourselves met with opportunity, with accountability, and with a sense of responsibility, do not delay what the Lord has placed right in front of you. I can tell you there are so many times where I think about someone while I'm driving, and it's like, oh, I, I should check in with them. I should call them. I should visit them. And in the moment of, you know, the busyness, I say, oh, I'll do it when I get home. Or I'll do it later. And Obviously, I don't want to text and call people while I drive, but many of you, I'm sure, have received a call from me while driving. Praise the Lord for uh, AirPods. Um, just a joke, sorry. But, uh, you know, how often do we think about these things where we're like, oh, man, you know, this person I remember is going through a hard time or they mentioned that they could use prayer for this. And we often skip over it in the busyness of life. That Even when we're met with the opportunity and the time to draw near to someone, that it gets in the way because we, we delay it. And practically then, brothers and sisters, but the challenge is in those moments when the Lord puts an opportunity before you where he calls to remembrance the things that you have promised to pray for for somebody else, let's do it in that moment. 
and in faith uh, go to the Lord and draw near to those in our community. Yet the call is to uh, do good to everyone, not just believers, but also non-believers, to draw near to those perhaps not in just our faith community, but the community around us, those whom the Lord has placed in close proximity to us. And although there is an emphasis, especially to those who are in the household of faith, it would be sad if we emphasize just that while neglecting the call to us to be in the community all around us to be salt and light. So let me give us a few practical uh, touch points of application as we consider our faith and how it interacts with community. First, uh, Sunday cannot be our only time when we're with other believers. Right? And even now in this time where it's difficult, you know, virtual service is a temporary necessity, and we continue to do it, but it cannot become the indefinite norm. And just coming in Sunday and dipping out right after service, it cannot be an indefinite ongoing norm that we're called to engage with one another outside of these pews, outside of just the time of worship. This is why we've been doing communion since we've started to meet in person, so that not only would the individuals be strengthened, but the community as a whole will be strengthened in solidarity as we await the Savior. So don't let Sunday just be the time where we glance at one another, especially now with masks on and the time of greeting. It's, it feels so, yeah, it, it doesn't feel full, you know? And, and so the call then is perhaps continue to seek out opportunities outside of the Sundays to draw near to believers. Second, community group is not about you. It's about y'all. I thought that was going to be a good punchline, but it doesn't have the ring to it, right? Community group is not just about you, but it's about all of us. It's all about all of y'all. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer, again, in his book, Life Together, says this. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I think there's so much truth to this, and I think if we were to be honest and we were to confess that those times where we chased down community and our sense of what that, what that should be, or our own criteria and definitions and desires and dreams of what, what community ought to be, those are the very times we, we, we miss it. Those are the very times perhaps we even destroy it, the thing that we desire so much. But community is not about what can this group give to me, but community is about how can I love those others around me? And then community is fostered and enriched. Our community isn't something that's just automatic or just, just there. It's something that has to be cultivated through accountability, responsibility, and many opportunities that are sought out faithfully. Third, intimate and deeper relationships with a few brothers and sisters are a good thing. Because I know a lot of times in a challenge or a sermon and about community, there's the pressure of, man, how can I be so close and intimate with everyone in church? But I don't think that's the, that's the point here. That, that in fact, you will probably have deeper and more significant uh, and intimate relationships with fewer brothers and sisters here. And so then in those relationships, continue to cultivate it. Don't use it as an excuse to leave people out. But at the same time, don't feel burdened that you have to 
be everyone's friend. It's just only the pastor's burden. <laughs> Immediate laughter here from the reverend up front. And also the officers who are soon to be elders and deacons. I'm just kidding. But you know, there are going to be more intimate relationships. And it's okay. It's not a clique. It's not subcategories. Just in, in the dynamics of people and, and, and just, just the way we operate, there are going to be more intimate relationships. And so on the other side, um, please don't be offended if you don't feel welcomed and loved by every single person in church. That there indeed are going to be pockets of deeper, more intimate relationships where really deep and, and private and, and, and difficult things will be shared. So, so, so lean into those things. Draw near to those intimate relationships. Continue to foster it. Fourth, living life together in and through different stages of life is really important. Um, you know, more and more, it's been apparent that people are finding or leaving their church communities when they enter different stages of life. And, and we've seen that not, not only um, in our ministry, but when I speak with the other churches and pastors, we see that it's, it might be an ongoing trend that the, what used to be fad of diversity and, and multicultural perhaps has now shifted into a, a specific church designed around a specific life stage. But it's important here that when we think about community, that as a Christian, that we don't just seek out uh, a community that is completely compatible or like the life we're living, but, but, but actually that, that challenges and speaks into, but also gives us a fuller view of a, a broader reality of what community is. You know, it, it, we find that... Uh, it, even churches seem to be targeting specific life stage groups. And the sad thing is that as church continues to progress, it seems to desire more of a niche kind of marketing target group. And I'm sure there's been more conversations about how the pastor should dress to attract a certain demographic than how the pastor should be preaching to win souls for the kingdom. I'm afraid that the church is becoming less about community of believers who are called to die to themselves and more of a place where, where people want to express individualistic authenticity. I'm afraid that churches might be struggling and on the line of just simply trying to find niche marketing target groups. You see that more churches and even the temptations perhaps here, to really focus on one group. And some of us have experienced this. When we were in college, we went to our college church. When we were a young adult, we went to a, a young adult church. And when we were married, you know, perhaps you're here now because of the Sunday schools. And when you're empty nest, then you want to find the church that is more like your life stage. And then when you're older, you want to just, you don't want to deal with the drums and the loud music and the blaring. You just, you know what, now I need some hymns and more calmer style of worship. I want to go to a, a bit more older and mature church. And we often in our faith, as we progress and mature in life, we find that we, we desire to, to, to go only and gravitate only towards what we may be most comfortable with. But living life together doesn't just happen in those isolated stages, but it ought to happen throughout those stages so that we can see the Lord's faithfulness in our life. One of my biggest joys and testimony about this congregation is that I, I attended here even a short time while I was a college student. And some of you guys were, and I always, you know, I, 
I'm sorry if I'm just always saying the same thing. Some of you guys are my Bible study teachers, my my missions counselor, winter retreat counselors. And, and to, for me to be able to see throughout my life stages, now that I'm raising kids and then still seeing uh, you know, older people and asking them for parenting advice, it's such a, it's, it's such a, you know, amazing experience of, of gospel community for me. And some of you have experienced those things too. And so a practical challenge would be as your life stage changes, don't be so quick to look for a church that would then meet those specific needs, but perhaps then challenge and, and ask the church to come alongside you in those life stages. Give the church opportunity and time to walk with you more faithfully because we're not perfect either. And the last thing uh, I, I will say practically to think about our faith and community is to be exposed to community of non-believers as well. That, that it's important for us to gather as a community, then we, then, then we also have to scatter into the community around us. Do not grow weary of doing good to everyone, especially those who are in the household, but to everyone. You know, we live in a world where almost everything can be delivered to our doorstep. Perhaps for some of us, it's been some time since uh, we've even went to the grocery store. Maybe it's a good idea to ask Amazon to deliver, you know, uh, not just our back-to-school supplies and diapers and groceries, but uh, perhaps we can ask for two homeless people who are hungry, looking for a warm meal, right, dropped off at our doorstep. I think more and more we, even before COVID, start, have started to kind of isolate and trim down the contact that we need with the outside world. And in that, we've, we've created perhaps a comfort and unknowingly created an environment where we, we don't really engage in the community around us. Something very practical, if you're used to shopping at one grocery store, check out a different one. Perhaps you'll, you'll, you'll meet someone there who needs the mercy and love of Christ. Perhaps you'll meet and run into church members. <gasps> we all know that moment when you see a church member and you're like, oh, talk too much, <laughs> you just drift away. But be in the community, be exposed, and put yourselves not only in the community of believers, but also those who do not believe. How else will they hear the good news? To conclude, church, there is a time and place for solitude, and we're not condemning that. There is a place where you can go before the Lord by yourself and, and, and have deep reflection. But if it's just self-introspection without a, a spiritual reflection, then we're just, we're just indulging in ourselves. Even within proper spiritual solitude, our call then is to ultimately be and go into the community of believers and non-believers so that we can live out our faith. What good is our faith if there is no context to which we are challenged and to live out what Christ has called us to do. So again, the gospel message today is that a gospel community gives us accountability and responsibility and opportunity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.